Welcome to the fifth episode in the second season of the Creepy Ouija Show. I'm not sure why I start every episode like this, but I'm doing it. And this is, will be the last time that I do it like this. So we'll anyway, see. hey, my name's Alicia and you can call me Leash and I'm one of your hosts. And I am Taylor. You can call me Taylor or Tay, whatever floats your boat. Lil Tay. Lil Tay. <laughs> Taylor gang. Uh, and I am also a host of the Creepy Ouija Show. We're hosts together. Together we make one whole host. Together we are one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, before we start, I would love to extend a big, fat, warm fucking thank you to everybody who reached out to me with, like, really kind words and, like told me that I inspired them to go get their pap and like keep up on that um aspect of their health so um I feel really good I was really nervous I actually had to like make Taylor stop recording so I could just like breathe I was freaking out so um yeah thank you everybody that was like really sweet and I'm glad that I can help you guys and you guys help me in return so I I love you guys and we love you. you Alicia I love everybody uh did you want to update them on your surgery? Oh, yeah. My surgery is in three days, actually. Um, Thursday, February 4th at 6.30 in the fucking morning. Ew. Yeah. And it's an hour away. <laughs> but my mom's driving me. <laughs> Thanks, mom. That'll be a good fucking time. I love, I love my mom. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, anything you'd like to say, Tay, before we get started? No. All right. Uh, this week, I am bringing you a poltergeist, and I am bringing you the poltergeist of Rarick, but it's called the Rarick poltergeist. I don't know why I said it like that. Okay. Rarick? The Rarick. Like Derek with an R. R-E-R-R-I-C-K. I know a Derek who spells their name like that with a D. There's so many ways to spell every name. I know. But this one is Rarick. 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 So... I'm going to start us off with a little fun fact. The word poltergeist derives from the German word language. (laughs) (coughs) Cut. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can keep going when I write. I'm going to start us off with a fun fact. The word poltergeist is derived from the German language. Uh, polter, poltern means to make a racket. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this sentence doesn't make any sense. Cut. I can't. <laughs> okay. Derived from the German. That doesn't make any sense. All right. I'm going to... <laughs> okay. Um, cut. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to cut this whole part out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I'm laughing too much. This comes out in literally two and a half hours. Yes, it does. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to start us off with a little fun fact. The word poltergeist is derived from the German language. Poltern means to make a racket and geist means ghost. So it's a rackety ghost. 
A rackety ghost. A rackety old bitch of a ghost. Yes. Wow. Um, poltergeist hauntings are typically short-lived and usually last like only a couple of months up to a year. So the paranormal activity starts really small, and it's got, like, gaps in between things that happen. Um, And then suddenly the activity spikes up and gets really intense. And most poltergeist hauntings end with incendiarism. Incendiarism. Which is just a fancy way to say the bitch burns everything down. I know a band called incendiary. Incendiarism. Yep. So <laughs> that's my fun fact. Facts. Okay. So everything that I'm reporting today is the recount of a local minister from Rarick named Alexander Telfair, who published a pamphlet in 1696 detailing the three-month-long supernatural torment of the Mackey family. This pamphlet was called, bear with me, it's a mouthful. A true relation of an apparition, expressions, and actings of a spirit which infested the house of Andrew Mackey in Ringcroft of Stocking in the parish of Rarick in the stewardy of Kirk Cudbright in Scotland by Mr. Alexander Telfair, minister that port of that porch and <laughs> attested by many other persons who were also eye and ear witnesses. That's the title of the <laughs> I had the worst time doing this story. I just want to tell you guys, this story takes place in 1696, 1695, and it was all written in, like, old-timey language, and I had a rough time translating, which you wouldn't think that it's, like, that hard, but, I mean, like... I've I've, like, seen... Some of these words, I'm like, who what i like even google was like can't relate so all right here we go one february morning in 1695 a local stonesman and farmer named andrew Mackey woke up and went out to tend to his livestock on his farm called the ringcroft of stocking which had a previous reputation for being haunted, though nothing in particular had ever happened to the Mackey family while they were there. I couldn't find how long that they had been there, but I want to assume that it's not very long at this point. So when he stepped outside, he noticed that his livestock was like roaming about freely and the bindings that had kept his animals together had mysteriously been loosened so they were able to escape. And he, he woke up like, what the hell why are all my chickens running around look at all those (laughs) chickens (laughs) chickens. so um he rounded up all of his animals and he made some stronger tighter bindings to keep them secure for good this time but the next day when he woke up the bindings had somehow loosened again he ended up moving his animals to a new outbuilding by his house to keep them confined better and hopefully away from whoever was letting them out. And in this new outbuilding that they had been moved to, it was like closer so he could keep an eye on them, you know. So the next morning when he woke up, what he found was much more alarming than the previous two mornings. The bindings were still tight, but... As he looked on, he noticed that one of his cattle that had been roaming freely in the confined space just the night before when before he went to bed 
was now hanging from a high beam. It was tethered from a high beam dangling above the ground. It was levitating. Ew. And so now he's like, what is going on? Like, realistically, no man could have gotten into this, like, outhouse farm. No, they're not in an outhouse. In this outbuilding is what it's called. Like, no man could have gotten into this outbuilding and tethered a cattle to a high beam by himself. And then if it was multiple people, then... They would have made a ruckus and the animals would have been popping off, you know? So he's like, what the fuck is going on here? So that night, uh, well, the day went fine. Like, nothing else happened. He let the cattle down and was just like, you good? The cattle's like, "Mm, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) So that night, the Mackie family woke up to the smell of smoke billowing throughout their house to find that a basket full of vegetable waste had been placed in the center of their living room and lit on fire. Ew. Yeah. So luckily they caught it in time and no damage was done to the house and no one was harmed. But as the nights passed, the paranormal activity was getting worse. During the day, things were fine. But at night was when it striked, struck, strucketh. (laughs) (laughs) The Mackie children would wake up in the middle of the night crying because someone had smacked or spanked them. But when they, like, sat up to see who had done it, no one was there. Ew. Yeah. Uh, during the days, um, after after that started happening, um, during the days, items would go missing only to turn up hours or days later in, like, bizarre areas of the home. We've had that happen here. Yes, Just, we have. I still haven't found my necklace. I have found my plugs. Did you leave that offering out? I think it's still in the the fishbowl. Gotcha. We have an offering (laughs) so that this ghost would stop stealing our stuff. It's like this ring that accidentally got mailed to our apartment. It was whoever lived here before us. It got shipped to our apartment, and we tried to send it back, but there wasn't a return address on it, so we just kept it. Yeah, and we gave it to the ghost. Yeah, it's like sitting on our shelf. I don't think the ghost wants it. I don't think he does either. It's like a cheap ring from China. It's cute. It's like silvery and it's like intertwined and it's got some like blue opal in it. Yeah. Maybe it's probably just fiberglass or something. I'm sure it is. Anyway. But. <laughs> anyway. So at the beginning of March, out of and from nowhere, stones began falling from the sky. At first, it was one rock being thrown here and there, and when Mackie would turn around to see who was instigating him, there was no one around. Then, as days went on, it was multiple rocks, and they were coming harder and faster, and it was happening so often that others began to witness it too. Every day of the week, the rocks would rain down out of thin air, but on the Sabbath, or Saturday, the stones seemed to come more steadily. And this time, they weren't just targeting Mackie. They were being aimed at anyone on the farm who took part in prayer. Creepy. Don't like that. No. So, by the middle of March, the stones were growing in size and were now coming down with intentional force. And things were getting dangerous as the demon set its sight upon others. It wasn't just the Mackie farm that was being affected anymore. 
neighbors and visitors who had oh hey rick um neighbors and visitors who had heard about the alleged haunting were now also the target of stone throwing and beatings some of which which were badly injured so um this like demon started like picking up wood panels and beating people with them jesus yeah not not a good guy what a guy not a good guy what a guy so stones were no longer the only weapon of choice for the invisible monster Mackie had been severely injured after getting pelted with stone and beaten with a wood post. He had cuts on his face and what looked like scratches from human nails all over his body. Don't like that. One day, um, a blacksmith, I'm assuming one of their friends who was coming to check out the the ruckus, the rackety ghost. The rackety ghost. Uh, So a blacksmith had come to the Mackie farm to visit and he narrowly escaped death he had been outside and from out of nowhere a trough was hurled at him yeah that's gotta hurt uh yeah so at all times of the day people who entered the farmhouse were being dragged around the house by their clothes and those brave enough to stay the night were dragged from their beds and beaten in the middle of the night even the children like especially the children it started with the children and now it's like dragging them out of bed and down the halls it's always kids kids are like the most susceptible to like spirits and stuff mm, yeah i guess you know so yeah um during an evening of prayer fistfuls of burning soil were hurled at the family and that night, a human-like apparition appeared covered in cloth and then quickly disappeared. Like the standard sheet ghost, pretty much? That's what I had pictured. Yeah. But cannot confirm or deny. We'll just assume. Yeah. So every time they gathered in prayer or attempted to exercise the demon out of the house, they were beaten harder than before until they gave up. Finally, the Mackie family sought out to get professional help which is where they enlisted the help of alexander telfair our wonderful pamphlet man pamphlet man pamphlet man on the night of march 21st telfair stayed the night and the next day he wrote this quote stones and several other things were thrown at me i was struck several times on the sides and shoulder very sharply with a great staff so that those who were present heard the noise of the strokes. That night, it tore off the bedside and wrapped upon the chests and boards as one calling for access. It is to be observed that, notwithstanding all of that was felt and heard, from the first to the last of this matter, there was never anything seen except that hand I saw. A friend of Andrew Mackey's said he said he was... <clears throat> wow, excuse me cut <laughs> Rick is a monster and a friend of Andrew Mackey's said he saw as it were a young boy about the age of 14 years with gray clothes and a bonnet on his head but presently disappeared as also what the three children sitting at the fireside saw so basically, <clears throat> he got beaten, and then he got 
his like bed sheets torn off and then there was like knocking on this chest in the boards and then uh he basically is saying that like he never saw anything like nothing was there to make these noises and then he saw a hand and another friend who was there saw a young boy in gray clothes and a bonnet that also disappeared and the kids saw it so that's a lot going on in just one night yeah a lot going on in here too yeah um everybody's like on one (laughs) taylor and i are experimenting with um recording like on like video so this will be a fun one when we finally release it but i don't know when that's gonna happen so yeah stand by we'll let you know yeah this is a hot mess anyway in april After word of the poltergeist spread by people who had witnessed it themselves, two other ministers joined Telfair in his observations of the Mackey farm. Uh, Mr. Murdo of Crossmichael and Mr. Ewart of Kells were the holy men enlisted to come help. But the spirit did not like these guys and wasted no time in beating the shit out of them. Oh, yeah. The poltergeist began throwing stones at them, as it normally did, like, classic. Like, get a new move. <laughs> uh, it hit Ewart in the head twice, which caused a big b- bleeding wound. And then later, um, the poltergeist pulled his wig off while he was praying. Oh. <laughs> That's mean. That's some catty girl shit. Snatched his wig. Uh, at some point in the day, Mr. Ewart was holding a napkin, and the ghost threw a stone at his hand and knocked the napkin out of his hand. <laughs> now you're just being petty. Yeah, I know. He, like, really doesn't like this guy. <clears throat> but Mr. Murdo got off pretty easy. Um, he only suffered from a few minor cuts and bruises from the stones. Like, he didn't pull his wig off or anything. Good. So... That night, the Mackey family and the three ministers gathered together to pray the demon away, um, and stones rained down on them until they finally stopped. The poltergeist had been lighting small fires here and there, even burning down some small buildings on the farm, but on April 5th, the poltergeist took things to a whole new level when it lit the Mackey farmhouse on fire for real. And as everybody was rushing out of the house because it was on fucking fire, it was still pelting stones at them. Hmm. Like, that's a real shit storm, if you ask me. It's a demon that won't give up. Yeah. That's his farm, and he needs it now. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, after the fire had extinguished, the family came back to their home to see if it was still standing. Luckily, it had not burned down, but upon walking up to the house... Mrs. Mackey found a package wrapped in paper set by the front door. This had, you know, been placed there after the fire. Otherwise, it would have, you know, burned. Right. And it was clearly a message. When she picked it up and opened it, she was horrified to find several small bones wrapped in flesh. Ew. And not, like, a digit or anything like that. Like, it was bones, and then it was, like, wrapped in flesh. Like a little blanket. Like piggies in a blanket. Ew. I hope you like... Going right back to that vegetarian thing. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I always do this to you. All right. So this raised the eyebrows of a lot of people. And they were all like, these motherfuckers is witches. There's some witchcraft going on. It's the only explanation. Yeah. Because like 
bones and flesh and fire and ghosts. Witches. Witches. The math is there. Science. <laughs> Science, bitch. <laughs> so, um, with that... Okay, pause. Okay. With that, rumors of the alleged witchcraft grew... Some speculating that Mackie himself had made an oath with the devil, swearing his firstborn over, but failing to, resulting in the violent poltergeist that was torturing them. Other people had something else to say. Uh, People were whispering that um, a woman with a bad reputation had left her clothing inside the home. Maybe a witch. Maybe a prostitute. Not clear. Um, maybe that was causing the bad energy, the bad vibes, if you will. (laughs) Or that the family had failed to burn a tooth that had been buried under the doorway to the home. What? That was, that had been placed there by a previous tenant. What? I don't know whose tooth. I don't know. What? Why it's a bad tooth. And I don't know why the tooth is under the doorway. Or why you would have to burn it. But that... That's what they said. (laughs) That's what they have been saying. So on April 8th, happy birthday. (laughs) God, I'm sorry. That's Annie's birthday. Oh, happy early birthday. (laughs) On April 8th, someone had a great idea. All right. On April 8th, a local magistrate had the idea that all of the Mackie household members were to touch the bones with their hands. The magistrate believed that the person guilty of witchcraft would have some kind of effect on the bones, like making them dance or turning them blue. I don't know. Uh, But this would expose them for the witch that they were. But nothing came of this, obviously, clearly, predictably. (laughs) And in one last final attempt to rid the farm of this demon... Five local ministers gathered together to perform an exorcism on the home, finally. Like, truly. Like, professionally. Like, like, faux shiz. Like, for real. As they engaged in prayer, the spirit grew increasingly hostile and started grabbing people by their legs and feet and lifting them into the air and then dropping them. As one does. As one. Classic. Classic. Classic demon. Classic poltergeist. Geisty you dog (laughs) for two weeks the ministers gathered and prayed over the family in the home that's a long ass exorcism it's a long exorcism all the while stones forcefully rained down on the men near the end of the exorcism the house began to shake and a hole was ripped in the roof Hmm. it's pretty extra then on april 26th the demon finally spoke waking Mackie in the middle of the night, saying he would, quote, be troubled till Tuesday, and that if Scotland did not repent, it would trouble every family in the land. Hmm. Um, do with that what you will. Sounds like an empty threat to me. <laughs> so the following Tuesday, which he said, troubled till Tuesday, the witnesses gathered as a dark cloud-like apparition formed, and grew larger and darker as it hurled clumps of soil and grass around the home, forcefully pelting everyone inside. Finally, two days later, 
on April 28th, the house caught fire entirely and burned to the ground. For the poltergeist's final performance, the day after it had successfully burned down the house, it lit a sheep on fire. <gasps> and then it just disappeared. Um, I don't know if the sheep was okay. I'm going to say no, but... Oh, that poor sheep. You know what? I'm going to say yes. Okay. He's a survivor. Glass half full. Yeah. So, at the end of Telfair's documentations of the whole ordeal, he wrote, quote, Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Um, you might want to... We might want to cut that and say that again because you said vigilant instead of vigilant. Oh, cut. <laughs> vigilant. <laughs> so stupid. All right. <clears throat> At the end of Telfair's documentations of the whole ordeal, he wrote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whoever he may devour <laughs> wow it's very dramatic what a speech what a what a way to wrap it all up <laughs> and strong so all that is left of the Mackey farm today is a dead twisted oak tree marking the exact location the poltergeist took over the Mackey farm wow um so after this pamphlet came out every like years later people were like analyzing it and a lot of people had that same claim that like most poltergeist um skeptics have where like the children were um doing ventriloquism and like faking it out but um none of that could be proved okay so yeah seems legit to me seems legit no other explanation legit to me sis All right. Well, I'm doing a haunted item this week. And we're going to talk about the Hope Diamond. You you ever heard of this? Is that the one that the old woman threw into the ocean at the end? No, but it looks very similar. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might have been inspired by this. Okay. Because it looks very similar. (laughs) Okay. So, the weird thing about this diamond is there's not, like, a ton of, like, solid history on it. Like, it's, like, come into the world, it's disappeared from the world, it's, like, Ooh. I don't know, it's, it's been weird. So, like I said, the history is kind of unclear. She lives life by her own rules. She does. And we respect that. We stand. We stand. So, the Hope Diamond is a 45.52 carat violet blue diamond. That's a big bitch. Woof. Um... It is about the size of a walnut. Oh. I mean, a, I was picturing a, an apple. No. I don't know anything but, about diamonds. But it's it's a big diamond. It's worth about a quarter of a billion dollars. Whoa. That's quarter a, of one billion dollars. That's spicy. Um, it is believed to have been mined from the Kalur mine in Galakanda, India. So that was cool. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> Um, it was also believed to have been stolen from one of the eyes of a Hindu idol. But that is kind of...
kind of folklore, but like that's kind of where like the cursed uh-huh ish yeah. comes from. Once you steal something, it's got bad juju for you. Oh yeah. So it was first purchased uh, in 1966 by Jean Baptiste Tavernier as a large uncut 115 karat diamond. Um, I said purchase like that because they think that it was stolen, but... Probably. Either way. Um, Tavernier brought the large uncut diamond to Paris, where it became known as the Tavernier Blue. It's believed that Tavernier sold the diamond, along with other small ones, to King Louis Fourteenth. Interesting. Yes. So once in King Louis' possession, he sent the diamond to be recut by the court jeweler, Jean Pitao where it was cut down to 67.125 carats, and supposedly this took about two years. Wow. Yes. Interesting. Long time. Yeah, that's a long time they to shave down They obviously do diamond. not have the same technology that we They were do. probably just, like, chiseling away. In the 1600s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so once it was recut, it was called Blue Diamond of the Crown of France, and was later renamed again the French Blue. I like the French blue. I do too. It's cute. It kind of sounds like a sex thing, but like a dirty. I know the front like a Frenchy. Get little, your mind out of the gutter. Little Frenchy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the king had the diamond set on a cravat cravat pin. Sorry, um, which is like, uh, you know those. Like back in the olden days, they had those fancy. It's not like a. T- it's like a tie, I guess. Kind of. It's like poofy in the chest. Yeah, yeah. It was like a pin for that. Oh, cute. Uh, <laughs> oh, razzle dazzle. <laughs> and then in 1749, King Louis's great grandson Louis the Fifteenth took possession of the diamond and had it set in a pendant known as Order of the Golden Fleece. So that was cool. <laughs> Golden Fleece. Golden Fleece also hmm. sounds sexual no it doesn't yes, it does no it doesn't sounds like something with p <gasps> golden your fleece. mind your mind taylor anyway after louis the 15th died his grandson louis the 16th whose wife was marie antoinette took possession of the diamond and kept it in the same setting talk about the family jewels there are lots <laughs> of family jewels here oh my god <laughs> um so like i said he kept it in the same setting um and then september 11th ni- uh, 1792 louis the 16th and his family were imprisoned in the temple during the french revolution and while they were in prison, a group of thieves broke into the royal storehouse and stole the diamond as well as others, like other diamonds. Oh. Yes. So at this point, um, the diamond kind of disappears for a couple of years. This is like where that comes in. It's where it got thrown into the ocean at the end. Yes. In <laughs> 1792, not 1912. Anyway. <laughs> um, History repeats itself. It does. You're right. Clearly, these people didn't learn from their mistakes. Yeah. So, in uh, 1793, Louis and Marie Antoinette were both guillotined. Oof. Don't know why. Didn't look into it, but they were guillotined. I believe you. (laughs) 
It wasn't until 1812 that the diamond resurfaced as a recut diamond and was suspected to be in possession by King George IV. And then in 1830, it was supposedly sold through private channels to settle the king's debt because he died. Oof. That's like an easy way out, though. Just like, here, take this rock. Take this. Take this fucking rock. Take this stone that I somehow inherited. Uh, in 1839, Henry Philip Hope, which is how the name, how the diamond got its name, Hope Diamond, hope. Uh, was discovered to own I'm the your... diamond from, what? I said, I'm your hope. <laughs> You're my hope. <laughs> I'm Jay Hope. Anyway. I'm so sorry. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, so Henry Philip Hope how the diamond got its name, was discovered to own the diamond from a gem collection catalog. Uh, no one knew how he acquired it or how much he paid for it, but he had it. And then in 1839, same year it was discovered that he had it, uh, Henry Philip Hope died, and the diamond was passed down to his nephew, Henry Thomas Hope. I swear, the name thing. There's so many names here. It's okay. Okay. Uh, but then he was passed down, I'm sorry, but then it was passed down to his grandson, Lord Francis Hope. I, like, love that name. Right? I don't know if it's saying that he's Lord a lord. Francis. Or if his name is lord. Probably his name is Francis. I would, I would assume so, and he, he is like a lord. He sounds like a baddie. He probably is. Little lord. Little lord Francis. <laughs> um, between 1901 and 1909, it was sold around between, like, four to five different people. Like, someone traded it to someone, someone else traded it to someone else. And This rock has been through so much. I know. It's literally, like, it's been in the hands of everybody. Um, Lonnie is eating our meat. <laughs> <laughs> not even kidding. Oh, my God. Manny, <laughs> help. <laughs> Like saran wrap? Yeah. Um, let me pause this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Uh, my cat started eating the steak that I was thawing in the sink. <laughs> like a savage. Like a little feral <laughs> savage. Anyway. I love her. Back to the story. Okay. So, in 1911, uh, Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean bought the diamond. Uh, and it, when she bought it, it was set in, like, a headpiece. And she later reset it into the necklace that it is still known to be in. Nice. Um, she owned the stone until she died in 1947. And after that, Harry Winston Incorporated obtained the diamond and owned it for the next 10 years and showed it at exhibits around the world. Nice. Yeah, super cool. So then, in 1958, the diamond was donated to the Smithsonian Institute, where it stays today. It has left the Smithsonian a total of four times uh, to be looked at, to take it to, like, things, and... Yeah, to take it to things. To take it to things. (laughs) 
Anyway. To get thrown into the ocean. Yeah. When Rose, you know, threw it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the curse. Yes. So this diamond brings tra- tragedy and misfortune to those who own and wear it. Um, I didn't, like, go over everybody who had, like, worn it, seen it, touched it, whatever, mm-hmm. in the previous part. But we're kind of going to go over that now. Yay. So I had mentioned in the beginning that the diamond was suspected to have been stolen from the Hindu statue of the goddess Sita. Yes. So, obviously, it's fucking cursed. Yeah. You don't steal things from goddesses? No. Like, duh. So, this is now a list of the people who, you know, felt the misfortune. Yes, the wrath. Because of the curse. Uh, So, Jacques Collet... Bought the Hope Diamond from Simon Frankel and died by suicide. Prince Ivan Kanatovsky bought it from Kolei, but was killed by Russian revolutionists. Sad. Kanatovsky loaned it to Malie Ledoux, who was murdered by her sweetheart. That bastard. Simon Mencherides, who had once sold it to the Turkish sultan, was thrown from a precipice along with his wife and young child. He's thrown from a what? A precipice. I don't know what that is. Precipice. Let's look it up. It's precipice. 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 Thank you, Annie. Thanks, Annie. I just heard when you said maybe you should repronounce that thing that you said. I was like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And Annie's over here correcting us. She's keeping us in line. Thanks. Uh, let's let's see. Annie, do you know what it is? Um, it's just like the edge of a building. The edge of a building. Or, or the precipice, like uh, standing on the edge, kind of. Oh, gotcha. okay. We have a special guest today. Her name is Annie. She's Alicia's friend. She's the one that made our cover art. Yeah. Oh, my Spring gosh. Groove. Spring um, Groove. Spring Groove. But... Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Sultan Hamid gave it to Abu Sabir to polish, but later Sabir was imprisoned and tortured. Woof. Stone guardian Kulub Bey was hanged by a mob in Turkey. A Turkish attendant named Hever Aga was hanged. What? I thought you said a mob in Turkey. Did I? No, you said a mob in Turkey, but I heard a mobbing Turkey. Oh. And then I got the weirdest picture in my head. Of like a gangster Turkey. Like a gangster Turkey. Uh, yes, that is exactly what happened. Whoa. We're off. We're off the rails today. This is a mess. Yeah. Part two. So sorry. A Turkish attendant named Hever Aga was hanged for having it in his possession. Tavernier, who bought the stone from India to Paris, was... Torn to pieces by wild dogs in Constantinople. Oh my god. Yes. Um, King Louis gave it to Madame de Montespan, whom later he abandoned. Sad. Nicolas Fouquet, an intendant of France, barred it temporarily to wear it, but was disgraced and died in prison. Oh my goodness, this stone is mean. I know, she's ruining people's lives. She, the goddess she said, is ripping nah. them away. Nah. Um, a temporary wearer, Princess de Limbale, Limbal? 
was torn to pieces by a French mob. Jesus Christ. Jeweler William Falls, who recut the stone, died a ruined man. Whatever that <laughs> What means. does that mean? I don't know. But he died a ruined man. <sighs> so, uh, okay. William... F- William Fall's son, Hendrick, stole the jewel from his father and later died by suicide. And some years after Hendrick, it was sold to Francis De Lu, who died in misery and want. Sorry, all the foreign <laughs> names. I'm so uncultured. Um, but That's yeah, funny. all these people just having their lives ripped, ripped away from them. Because of this diamond. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just chilling in the Smithsonian now. <laughs> That's good. Just yeah. keep it where the goddess can see it. They recovered it from the ocean floor. <laughs> and it's in the Smithsonian. <laughs> no, to be clear, it is not. No, it's, it's not. not. I'm sorry. It's not I'm the just... diamond from Titanic. Yeah. I'm sure the Titanic diamond was inspired. Because again, they look so effing similar. The only well, difference... Is the diamond in the movie is like a royal, like dark sapphire blue, mm-hmm. and this is like a violety, ooh, blue. Violet. It's very pretty. We'll maybe post a picture. We'll definitely post a picture on our Instagram, of course. And I'm gonna post a picture of the crooked tree. The crooked tree. Yeah, it's gonna be lit. What it's do you gonna think? Be a post to rave about. <laughs> <laughs> i'll rave about it okay me too <laughs> but yeah so that is the story of the cursed diamond oh, the cursed hope diamond hope but since it since it's been in the smithsonian nothing has happened that's good yeah so keep it there keep it that's keep, what i'm saying keep I, her on lockdown they keep it in a display case yeah and it's really pretty yeah. well a little gaudy for me but well I'm we can't a, all have the style of a goddess. That's what I'm saying. I'm trash. I buy my jewelry from China websites that sell jewelry for 25 cents a piece. Like our offering to our ghost. Yes. <laughs> Precisely. I don't even wear jewelry. I don't either. Except I mean, for the stuff that's stuck in my face. Yeah. I have my face piercings and then my plugs. Those are the only things that I like change out are my plugs. Yeah. We can't. I can't wear jewelry anymore. It just gets in the way. We have yeah. to use our hands all day. Yeah. That's the only thing I would wear is rings, and yeah. I can't wear them anymore. So, Woof. Enough about me. All right. Enough about you. <laughs> yeah. Actually, just kidding. More about you. Next More week, I'm going to have you do a cult. Next week, I'm going to have you do a cryptid. Yes. We all know how that one went last time. I love when you tell cryptids. I fucking love doing You're cryptids. so good at it, and you're so good at like finding cool ones. hey Unlike me. I'm passionate. I respect that about you, Alicia. Yay. Thank you. You are truly the queen of cryptids. You are a cryptid. I am the cryptid queen. Cryptid queen. But yes, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at CreepyWeegeePod. You can send us stories and shit at CreepyWeegeePod at gmail.com. You know, um, I had somebody from last episode... Let me know how tall their dad was, and it made me really happy. So, like, let's keep that train going. How tall was their dad? 6'2". Damn. Yeah. We, we want to know men. how tall your dads are. <laughs> Is your dad single? No. Just kidding. I'm totally kidding. No. Don't do that. I won't. I have a boyfriend, and I love him. He's not 6'2", but 
we my can we can drink three yeah alicia and He's, you're you're five <laughs> one and you have a six foot three boyfriend the world isn't fair okay oh i wish i was taller i wish i was shorter do you want to trade absolutely i do all right let's, all right let's summon a goddess okay okay bye we're gonna go summon a goddess now and get doordash yeah <laughs>